Good morning again. You might have noticed during the week in the In Touch, the passage here in Isaiah 49 uh, was titled Comfort and Compassion. Um, I probably didn't get in early enough to get that change to something we're going to I've titled The Servant, The Identity, Itinerary and Impact. And we'll get to the comfort and compassion uh, near the end. It won't be left out. Have you ever been uh, the phrase left out in the cold? Have you ever been left out in the cold? Left out in the dark? On the outer? Um, I was sharing during the week when I met with someone from church here and I was talking about when I started school in Melbourne. I came in just at the end of year nine, going into year ten, and it was very difficult to break into a friendship group. And uh, I was introduced to some some guys by the vice-principal. Didn't go down that well on the, on the day. I ended up starting out, out in the dark and in the cold and on the outer as such. They're, they're not situations uh, that you want to be in too long. Uh, you'd prefer to be saying that you, you've been brought into the light, that you're, you're in the warmth, part of the, the inner circle. In chapter 48, at the, at the end of, of chapter 48, we have this phrase that there is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. And again, at the, in chapter 57 and verse 21, the nine chapters later, it says there again, there is no peace. There is no peace for the wicked. And, and between, it's, it's like God is, is saying to us, what, what is going to happen to these, to, to this world? How will these people experience forgiveness? How will there be redemption for this wicked people who there is no peace for? And not just for the people of God and, and the faithless city of God, but for all the nations. How will they be changed and transformed? Because now they're out in the cold. They're in the dark. And we've read for, as Andrew mentioned, for a lot of this year, we've looked at the, the, the idol worship and the, the compromises of the nations, the wars and the destructions of cities and of Jerusalem and the exile that is being prophesied about that we've been looking at of the, of the Jews to Babylon. And what we see here in these chapters coming up is this, this light of God being, being shone in this Old Testament context. And just as even this morning the, the, the sun is shining through the, the dark and gloomy clouds of Melbourne. And that happens a lot, doesn't it? So we see that there is hope. There is hope and there is light for the wicked. God is at work to change this faithless city to a faithful city. A community of people who love and serve their God. He is at work to rescue the, the wicked nations, the whole world, by, by a figure who... who Identity is still largely hidden. 
But when he comes, his work will be transforming every nation and every people group. And Isaiah has given us some snippets we've heard throughout this year. Some little snippets of this largely hidden identity, this servant. A branch out of the root of Jesse, a descendant of of David. He'll be called Emmanuel, God with us. Wonderful, counsellor. Prince of Peace, the one whom God refers to here as my servant. There are four servant songs uh, in Isaiah, or poems as they might be referred to. The first one is in chapter 42, verses 1 to 4. The second one is what we're looking at today in chapter 49. Then there's chapter 50, 4 to 7. And the climax of these songs and poems are found in those famous verses of of 52 and 53. And each of these poems or songs reveals more and more light upon the, the character, the identity and the purposes and the activity of the servant. And all four songs are followed by God's authoritative and authenticated words and promises that it is it is he who will deliver on his word it is god the lord almighty the holy one of israel who will be faithful to his promises and the the gospels as we'll see this morning and the gospels clearly identify this servant as jesus the light of the world so then as we as we take that in mind let's look at the the first point here of the the identity of the servant in verses one to three even the most remote parts of the world are called to listen to what is about to be said because it is relevant not just for the people of israel but it is relevant for all nations even the nation of australia even the the remote island of tasmania So when we, we read then that the servant is a, an individual born like any other human and his calling is determined by God before he was born. The servant is called by God and he has made mention of his name. As was the, the custom and uh, what the culture of, of this time and it was that, that names were given that had meaning about and purpose about that person. Uh, we, we have a similar things in, in recent history in, in all, all around the world, but to think about parts of Europe. Um, we, we, we consider in Scotland, I know they have the, the history of, of using names that would say, I think it's like Mc, the Mc, it means like son of. There'd be McDonald's and, oh, McDonald's for lunch. No, like, yeah, the, the, those sort of names. McMurray, a, fair, a name that we'd be familiar with here. But there's also... Uh, there's also history of, of these surnames being displaying the workers and the occupations and the activity of people, what they would do. 
and it would identify them. Names like shepherd or barber or cook or fisher, a tailor. There's a a whole multitude of names. The list goes on. Um, I don't think we're actually that concerned in the Western culture about the definition of names or the meaning of names that much. Uh, We... Well, I know when we gave, uh, when we had our, our second child, Mackenzie was uh, from a family name uh, through Rachel's history in Scotland. Uh, but our second daughter, uh, Ava, uh, we liked the name Ava. We didn't particularly look too much at the definition first. We just liked the name Ava. Then we looked at some of the definitions. <laughs> One of the definitions was iniquity. Probably not the name you want to give your daughter. But we, uh, we liked the name, so we stuck with Ava. Uh, we, we compromised a little bit and we gave her middle name as Grace. We think that sort of went well with Ava. In Isaiah 7, Isaiah prophesies there that the virgin will give birth to a son and he will be called Emmanuel. God with us. 700 years later, an angel appears to Joseph in the town of of Nazareth and says, your son shall be called Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The work of the servant. And these prophecies and announcements are, are fulfilled in Christ. John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And you jump down to verse 14, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That is Jesus. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. God with us. Miraculously conceived to Mary, coming into the world by the will of God for the salvation to all and to give peace to the wicked. Verse 2 goes on, it describes the the servant as, as one whose ministry will predominantly be a speaking ministry, a speech ministry, a teaching and preaching ministry. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword into a polished arrow. The imagery is telling us that this, this servant, the words will be, will be piercing. Pierce the hearts of people like a, like a sword and a, an arrow would travel through the defences of an enemy. You see, you didn't need to have handled a sword or fired an arrow to correlate the imagery with the identity of the servant. In Mark 1, 32, Jesus and his disciples uh, have the whole town brought the sick and possessed to Jesus. And it says he healed many. But he says to his disciples, let's go from this place. And let's go somewhere else so I can preach. Did Jesus not care about these sick people? Did he not care about them or their situation? 
Of course he did. Of course he did. But his, his teaching and preaching ministry is at the heart of his identity. Jesus healed lepers. Jesus did many miracles. He made the blind see. He raised Lazarus from the dead. But when we read the words of Jesus, not just at the time, but for ever, for, for the thousands of years till today, his words are piercing, powerful. They're consistently exposing the hypocrisy and the double standards of the human heart. He reveals uh, intentions and sinful attitudes. He reveals the characteristics of kingdom life. Such is the power of the words of Jesus. Yet, like verse 2 says, he was in a way hidden. His identity and who he was and why he was there was was still a, a great debate of many people. And it's fair to say 2,000 years later, it's still of some debate. Who is Jesus? Who was he? I think the identity of Jesus, of the, the identity of this servant in verse 3 really comes to a head as we grasp the identity of the servant as Jesus. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendour. So far we've been talking about Jesus as the servant, yet here in verse 3, Israel is mentioned. If we go to verse 5, and this is getting into my... Next point about the itinerary, but just to give some context and some meaning here. It says, now the Lord says, who who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself. So if the word here, Israel, in verse 3 is referring to the nation of Israel, how can in verse 5 the nation of Israel gather the nation of Israel? That that doesn't seem to make sense, does it? Doesn't seem to be possible. Well, let's go back to Exodus chapter four and verse twenty-two, and the Lord there says, "Israel is my firstborn son," and the Lord gave the name Israel to the patriarch, the third patriarch, Jacob, after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the Lord changed. Jacob's name to Israel and it means literally God strives and the nation of people the the nation of Israel sorry separated by God chosen by God had a purpose and that was to be a a nation who, who would have a deep and intimate relationship with God who would be set apart a holy people, not for the purposes of, of just privilege, but for the purposes of, of, of reaching out to the nations, making God known to the other nations of the world. An expression of God's love, grace and truth. 
And we know in hindsight as we read the Old Testament that the nation of Israel failed at that, didn't they, time and time again. Which I think can be very familiar for us. I don't think it's a space to look down on the nation of Israel but to say, hey, I, I know what that feels like, to fail. Yet God is a God of patience and forgiveness and love. And there were consequences time and time again. And the people of Israel, the nation, would come back to God. They would fall away again. And so this result of, what is this result of this failure? What What is in store for Israel? A number of weeks, oh, probably a number of months ago now, we looked at Isaiah 5. You may remember it, a parable of the vineyard and the gardener or the vine dresser. And the owner of the vineyard in Isaiah 5 says, does everything possible to make good grapes from the vine. There's fertile land, you dug up the dug up the land, he's cleared the stones, the best of the best vines are put in place. A watchtower, there's a wine press being cut out. And as the vine keeper looks for the good grapes, he only gets bad fruit. And in verse 5 of Isaiah 5, it says that he'll take away the hedge and destroy it, break down the wall, it will become a wasteland and there'll be no rain on it. So much potential. Verse 7 says, the vine of the vineyard is the nation of Israel. Old Testament Israel had failed to be what God wanted them to be. They are under an impending judgment from God. In this time, that is an exile to Babylon. No peace. They are to be gathered back. And in this instance, back from Babylon. Yet there is something far greater being told here. And they can't do it themselves. You know the passage probably quite well of John 15. I'm just going to turn to it now, John 15. And Jesus is speaking here. And he says in John 15 verse 1, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. I am... One of those great statements that Jesus says, I am the true vine, the real one. And my father is the vine dresser or the gardener. He is the one who planted the vine in the vineyard, who looked for good fruit, but only saw bad fruit. It is God who sent his son, a new Israel, The perfect Israel, the perfect vine, the real one, his son. And this vine will be fruitful. 
In verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. All of where Israel failed as a nation to be God's servant, Jesus fulfills. Where Israel disobeyed, Jesus obeys. Where Israel took feasts and, and religious ceremonies and the ceremonial laws as a, as a thing of privilege and to make themselves bigger and better than everyone else, Jesus came to pay for the price of sins of the whole world. And it's only this son, this Israel, that can bring glory to God from a perfect life of obedience. You see, back in Isaiah 49.3, you are the servant. He said to me, you are my servant, the real servant. The true Israel, through you I will display my glory, all of my splendour. Well, now let's look at the itinerary of the servant. I don't know about you, but you, I imagine a lot of you are probably ready to go on a holiday. Uh, there's all types of places you can't go at the moment, but there's some places you can. And it's always nice to plan a holiday and think about what that's going to feel like. And I think sometimes the best part of a holiday is actually that expectation that builds up as you plan and save and put away and pay off and then you finally get to go. The, the one time I, um, I've been overseas uh, was actually 10 years ago now. Uh, we went to the UK for six weeks and part of that was a, a few flights. We went you know, through Singapore, Dubai and into Glasgow and we d- went down to London on a flight. And So we had this itinerary of flights for our six weeks. We didn't have all the details of what we were going to do in those six weeks in this itinerary. And I think that's a bit like what we're going to see in this passage here today. It's outlining, not every moment of every day, but outlining some major details of the itinerary of the servant. And of course, in these servant songs, uh, we get more and more of that detail. And especially as you hit Isaiah 53... There's a sudden shift as you read verse 4. We just talked about the servant in whom I will display all my glory, but I said, I have laboured to no purpose. I have spent my strength in vain and for nothing. And it seems a bit odd to read when you first read that that a direct reply to the calling of the servant is this disappointment and letdown that it's all in vain. But let, I want to look at Matthew 11. Jesus constantly faced criticism. Jesus constantly faced hardened hearts, rejection. 
Matthew 11 and 18, talking to the generation of that day. For John came, neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her actions. You know, it didn't seem to matter what Jesus did or said at times. He constantly was rejected, refused. The truth was ignored. And Jesus goes on in verse 20 uh, down to verse 24, speaking about these cities where he has ministered, where he has been teaching and preaching. And he says there that the the, the, the immoral cities of, of Sodom and the... Uh, the, the cities of Phoenicia, that they, they would repent if they heard these words. And I think that gives some disappointment, the context of the disappointment of the servant. But it doesn't end there, does it? The rest of that verse says in Isaiah 49 verse 4, yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand and my reward is with my God. Jesus came with an attitude of humility, submitting to the authority and will of God. And while he was constantly met with opposition and was betrayed and was murdered, he can say, I have full confidence in my God. I have full confidence in the Father, in his will, in his wisdom that is perfect. And my reward is with him. How, how, do you, how are you handling disappointment? I was thinking about this during the week when, when, when things don't seem fair. You know, when, how, do you, how do you cope when you, you're sharing your faith and you're putting yourself out there? There just doesn't seem to be reward. And it's not just in the church ministry. But in your family home, in your community, in your workplace, in your school, how do you handle the disappointment? I think, and I have a sense that we've all experienced a bit of verse 4, and we probably will continue to experience. I've, uh, so I've shared with a few people that I've, I've joined the Montmorency Cricket Club. Um, it's been a, a long time since I've played a game. I uh, went down and, and trained once during the week and uh, I'm still recovering. My shoulder is feels like it's about to fall off, but I'm looking forward to the I'm looking forward to the experience. But you know as I as I've thought about my involvement in that space and in that community of people, this week I've thought about that there probably will be disappointment. As the opportunities uh, arise to be able to share about my, my, my job, my, my faith and who Jesus is and in the way that I live in that place and the way that I treat people, I'm sure there will be rejection. There might be hardening of hearts. And I might feel disappointed
But I was reminded by this response that trusting God, when I'm feeling disappointed and tired and feeling like, what's the point of this? It's actually not about pleasing people. It's about pleasing God. My reward is with him. Regardless of the circumstances that there's that there's rejection or acceptance or hardened hearts or, or softened hearts. The question is on us. Will I or will you continue on what God has called us to do? Because his wisdom is perfect. His judgments are fair and our reward is with him. And I think verse 6 is really the key to the itinerary. You see there, it's too small a thing for you to be just my servant and to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I've kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, bringing salvation to the ends of the earth. The, the opportunity to, to be in a relationship with, with our God, to, to experience forgiveness of sins. This is going to be made available to everyone. John eight twelve, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you too will have the light and never walk in darkness. So what does that light look like in your life? Matthew 5, Jesus said to his disciples, and, and this is true for you and me today, that you are the light of the world. So let your light shine before men. That, that, that light is, is the character of Jesus. It's the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That the, the joy and the peace and the love and self-control and so on. Let that light shine in your life. In your church, in your cricket club, in your workplace, in your school, wherever you are. That people would see your good deeds. They would see the way you live. They would see this light and would praise God. They would want to be brought from a place of darkness to a place of light. Lastly, we just want to look at this uh, quickly uh, as time is going. The, the impact, the impact of the servant, the identity, we've seen the itinerary, and now the impact. Look at the contrast in verse 7, the, the one who is despised and abhorred by the nation. Uh, abhorred is a word which means to be hated. And, and it takes you from that to a, to a place of, of royalty who will rise up and bow down because the Lord is faithful. In verse 8, it's, it talks about the, the God will make you and keep you to be a covenant for the people. A, a declaration between uh, two parties, a, a place of reconciliation. And in the short term, God has promised to, to take his people out of Babylon. And bring them home. But that is just a, a pale, pale, inse- uh, a pale, uh, what's the word? A foreshadowing. And that's a word that's been so much, used so much by, uh, in the media press releases by the state government. It was on my mind. I couldn't say it. 
That, that is just a, a pale foreshadowing of, of what is to come. The covenant that Jesus would become for all humanity. Jesus said in his own words, when he took the, the, the communion, the supper, the last supper, this is my blood of the new covenant. We are bought at a price through the shed blood and the giving of his life of Jesus Christ, that we would be brought out of darkness into the light. We would know God personally and intimately. In, in Through verse 9 and 10, there's a shepherd and, and sheep imagery of, uh, of the, the, the impact of the servant on those who follow him. They'll feed and find pasture. They'll not be hungry and won't thirst and they'll have shade from the heat. There will be a guiding and leading to springs of water. And all over the world, all over the world, remembering the the call to the nations in verse 1, people are being gathered from all parts of the world to join this community. It talks about the north and from the west and from the region of, of Aswan or uh, you might have uh, Sinim in your, in, your ref, in your references. And it's referring to the, the furthest eastern known point in that time. And many commentaries believe it, it's referring to the land of China that we know now. You see, we are those people headed to a, a new Jerusalem to be with our Saviour. He has put all his resources at our disposal to guide us, strengthen us, sustain us. What wonderful promises we live with from God's word. And those promises, it says in verse 13, has all of creation rejoicing, shouting for joy, bursting into song. Because the Lord has comforted his people. That, that, as I looked at that phrase, uh, it, it's a, an action. It's speaking about a, a one-off action that's been done once and for all. That Jesus' death and resurrection, paying the price for our sins, has brought comfort between the people and their God. And the next tense is this continuous tense that he will go on having compassion on his afflicted ones. There has been a great work done by the servant, Jesus Christ. And there is a continuous great work in your life every day, if you trust him. His mercies are new every morning. This is our God, brothers and sisters. This is our God, the great judge who brings his sheep in to comfort and who every day in all circumstances of life, his mercies are new, his compassion is ongoing. This is our God. Father, we come before you and just thank you for your word and your promises. Thank you that you are faithful. You are the same God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. The same God of Isaiah. 
And you are our God this morning, the same God who has made a way through your servant, Jesus, for us to be made right with you in a relationship with you that is a great place of privilege to be able to belong to you, to have our lives changed and transformed and to have the hope of eternity in your presence. We long for that day. But may we, while we wait for that day, may we just be a people of obedience and a people that trust you and that are the light and salt of this world. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.